Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. Welcome back to Detroit is Different Podcast Studios. And even though it's the winter time, we still rolling in community. We rolling in creativity and we also rolling in ideas on building. So in that same world, Dwan Dandridge, how you feeling today? What up, though? Feeling good, man. Feeling yes, good. Sir. Been looking forward to this conversation all day. Oh man, that's uh that's deep, you know, because this, this has been in the talks for it's been in talks for a minute, but that's just kind of how stuff goes sometimes. So, you know, don't necessarily get uh, get hell-bent to think like, oh, it's not da, da, da. Divine order is always in order. When we're talking about our people, community work, creativity, building, development, it's divine order plays a key, key, key role. Yeah. So with that being said, um, Black Leaders Detroit, we're going to talk a lot about that and what that is and that program. I'm finally joined. Like, like I really joined. I put my money in. That's everything. what's up. I doubled That's down. what's up. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And before we get to that, if people aren't familiar, let's just get to your Detroit story. Your Detroit story, your people, your family. What brought you all to the city of Detroit? So that's a good question. I didn't see that one coming. But um, interestingly enough, um, so my, my, my last name, Dandridge, the one that I carry, mm-hmm. is my mother's maiden name. My okay. mother's uh, last name changed to Thompson when her and my father were were married. Um, they w- had me when they were 15 and 16. Mom was 15, mm. dad was 16. Wow. So they weren't old enough to even get married then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I ended up getting my mom's uh, name. I didn't realize that until I was much older because my dad had me enrolled in school and everything else under his last name, which was Thompson. Mm. But if you ask where my family's from and how they ended up in Detroit, my grandfather on my dad's side was adopted and went through the foster care system a lot. So I can't really tell you where the the origin story and the roots and and, and at least traces back to which most of us can do down south somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on my, my mom's side, the name Dandridge, if you are not familiar with it, um, Martha Dandridge, mm-hmm. right, who was Martha Washington after she married George Washington. Um, her her last name was Dandridge, and my people come from the plantations that were owned by her father and her brothers. So Virginia is where the Dandridge side of uh, my family came from. Um, so I always tell people when they paint uh, Washington to be a hero um, I have a different, you know, um, point of reference in the mm-hmm. way that I view um, him as, uh, you know, a complicated figure uh, and definitely his in-laws. Mm. That's deep. And that opens up so many points of conversation alone. But first, let's just go back to the Thompson Dandridge thing, because yeah. it was one time there. Uh, somebody was like, yeah, you know, talk to Dewan Thompson. And then th- the way Dewan spells his name is, I know you guys are looking at the lower thirds, and I got another homie that spells it differently as well. Right. Like, because right. usually when we think Dewan, we think D U Y J U A N. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, like, that's what we think when we think Dewan. So to see yeah. Dewan different, I'm like, 
I wonder, is this the same DeWan? Like, are we talking about? And then they were talking. I'm like, this got to be the same DeWan. Yeah. And I had to actually call yeah. you like, okay, uh, uh, is DeWan Thompson uh, DeWan Dandridge as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if you ever have that question. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it was a surprise to me that my mm. name wasn't Thompson, right? Mm. So, like, I went to school. I was enrolled in school. I was always told that my name was last name was Thompson. And I went to school under that name. Mm. And it wasn't until I needed a birth certificate for something. Maybe it was sports or um, a job or something. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly what it was. But that's when I saw my birth certificate that my last name was Dandridge. And I was like, man, like, it messed me up because anybody that's and it's in fact you probably saw thompson from facebook because when mm-hmm. i first got introduced to facebook i was looking to connect with old friends from school and you need none of them would have known yeah. me by dandridge yeah you know they would have reached out and said like hey yes, man, somebody stole right. your identity right right you know, dewan dandridge that <laughs> happens to be in detroit that went to the same school yeah. as us we don't remember this guy yeah. you know <laughs> so i'll give you another uh layer to to my last name um so when my wife and i um, were married, we were trying to figure out like what the what last name we would use, mm-hmm. and you know being committed to not passing on a slave owner's name to hmm. to my children or my family, we chose the name Uhuru, hmm. which means freedom, hmm. right? So my wife, my children, like their last name is Uhuru, um, and because you know part of my Detroit story involved me um, having a, a, a complicated past, it wasn't as easy for me to change my last name. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, right now, it probably would be a lot easier for me to do that. Um, but, you know, that was something that we were really intentional about. Like, I wasn't going to give my next generation uh, the last name of, of, you know, some slaves' owners. Mm-hmm. And and it's unique that you talk about that. And, and, the, and the main point is there was another recent Detroit is Different interview when we were talking about, uh, and, and you you know Sarita, Sarita Scott. Yeah. So when, when we were having this conversation and, you know, we talk about that journey, because I always start with, like, what brought your family here? And she's like, you know, my people come from Alabama, but they usually don't talk about it. Um because they were escaping the atrocities that right. were going on, the uh, the the in-your-face violence, and, right. and it, it's such a classic story. So she spoke of of her grandfather coming, her great grandfather. Uh, but you know, this is the Coleman Young story. This is the Jimmy Boggs story. So many right. escape, but also in that escaping, even like a story like my grandfather, even though not a Detroit guy, my paternal grandfather. People change their names, too, for safety reasons. Yes. So, you know, you may have been in, you know, uh, a part of Arkansas or Florida or, or Georgia or whatever, and your name was Smith. But now, you know, you get that right part of the train and, and you come on up to Detroit and it's like, nope, I'm no longer going to be Alan Smith. I'm going to change this to Al Jones. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about, like, in large settings is that, you know, some of those things that we say we would have done if we were back there, some of our grandfathers and grandmothers did that. Very much so. Right? So that that meant they needed to come up here Mm. in the middle of a night before anybody retaliated. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, mm-hmm. the way some of my family ended up here. We had some ancestors. It was like, look, like we're not having it. And um, they weren't going to follow the rules yeah. of that Definitely. time. Definitely. You know? Definitely. Yeah. They, they they weren't going to follow those rules, right? Mm-hmm. And it meant that they had to flee um, mm-hmm. and ended up in Detroit. Like, not everybody came here, you know, because of the auto industry. Yeah, and, and, and the offshoots, like, it, it, you know, just those connections and those pathways um, through doing all these Detroit is different interviews. And I always like to start with, like, you know, what's your origin to the city? Because it frames some different things and how you see things, Um in my belief, I think that, um, you know, uh, Sarita's interview got right into this, so it's heavy in my mind. So, like, I guess it's better ways to say this, your education, your knowledge base. I mean, as a marketing person that likes things plain, I can speak to this being conditioning and propaganda, uh, however we want to package it. But we have like an onboarding of understandings in life, of 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 how things happen and why things happen and, and, and where they happen and what to do about it. A lot of this definitely are, the, these are like understood ways. Like, you know, we're, we're close enough in age. Like it's one of those things where I, I never knew you as a kid, but it was a point where like, you know, growing up in a city like Detroit, we love playing football. It was a way we played football in the street. Yep. It was tackle on the grass. Sideline tackle, yeah. two hand touch in the street. T- and we never, you know, we didn't even talk we, about that, never. but but it was just like a culture of like that. So then you yeah. go down south to your friends, and you know, you know, you go down south with your cousins down there. It's like, what are you talking about? Why would you play football in the street? But they had so much more uh, grass available <laughs> exactly, to them. You know what right, I'm saying? Right, <laughs> so right. it'd be one of those things, you know, you playing, and then somebody. Uh, Somebody throw a football and they hit a car. This is like real. This just shows my age. Oh, yeah. When cars first started getting alarms and the alarm yep. go, and then everybody yep. break loose. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or that one play where, you know, you had to play with the, the, the cars in the street. So somebody was running and they yeah. caught the ball and didn't turn, didn't know the car was there and they ran into the car. And the car took them out. And, like, <laughs> and I mean, and, and, yeah, if you if you were savvy enough, this was like playing savvy, yeah. you would, you would use that oh, as yeah. a way to basically like, all right, so. So look, we go because this is this is also how street football plays are. You guys are getting the insight. The, you know, somebody the quarterback will put on their hand like That's this. It. You and, go seven, and like you go yourself. out. You go seven paces up and out. That's it. That's it. So all right, when you go seven up and out because right. that car is right there and he backpedaling, you gonna get him. That's it. That's it. That's it. So like just these weird. Things that are like, how do you yeah. like? What are you? What are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then technically, it ain't even tackle on grass because you know at certain points it breaks. It would be concrete there. You got the driveways. Yep, that's it. But this, this is what boys did. That's and it. Growing up in the Midwest, it was just yeah. a part of the culture. We understood it, and and the same thing can be applied to escaping some of those traumas too. Like yeah. knowing where to go, how to go, what what resources to get. Um, similar to. Uh, uh, we definitely recognize that sometimes people like give a big divide from some of the brothers and sisters coming from what, as far as I feel that, you know, labeling this line of Mexico or whatever, like a lot of them were in land that we label as America anyway, but it's a different culture assimilating when you're, as they say, undocumented American. It was a lot of undocumented Americans that were black from that great migration. Yeah. 
you know, yep. because I'm undocumented. Because if I give you my real paperwork, yes. I'm going to be going back down That's to right. a chain gang. Yeah. So yeah. I'm a different type of undocumented. Yeah. Which I don't know how many people explore that, but yeah. we, it's just, you know, the stories we hear is real. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting as, as you talk about Sarita. So shout out, shout out to Sarita and all that she means to like so many of us in Detroit. Yeah. Um, just need to say that. Um, but as you talk about like it not really people in the family not talking about it a whole lot, mm-hmm. that was the same thing um, in my family. But where I did start to hear a lot of stories was when I worked at Ford. So I worked at Ford from 1999 to like 2006. Mm. And the brothers and sisters that were from the South there, mm-hmm. they would talk about it in, de- in such detail that it would put you in the space Right, like you would be in the land that they were on when they would tell some of the stories, and it was crazy stories. So, like, I won't, won't, won't dive into any of those stories, but I, I know them word for word because they had that type of impact on me. Once you hear them, um, but I, one of one of the stories that I always appreciate there was a brother named uh, Shigs that I used to work with, and Shig was. Old school UAW dude didn't mm-hmm. take any mess from anybody. And um, if the supervisor came and, and was trying to abuse anybody, Shig would deal with it in a real creative way um, mm-hmm. with, with the equipment that he understood at a much higher level than anybody else did. But Shig would tell a story about, you know, staying on his grandfather's land. And, and, and Shig's family owned hundreds of acres of land. Um, and he was from Mississippi. Mm. And he said that, you know, part of the their deal was the grandfather, like, had it written up in a way that you could move on the land, you could build on the land, you couldn't sell the land. That's deep. And, and yeah. that you bring that up, I mean, what's deeper about that is just your history is, um, you know, it, it's a lot in this exploration yeah. is being discovered yeah. in these connections for a lot of us. Yeah. Um, you know, California has, um, has you know, I don't want to say awarded, has given back the just due of a lot of the black families that were displaced off of shoreside property. Yeah. Uh, and this is happening across the country. Uh, I had one of my best interviews as far as, like, what I found most fascinating this year was with the Tusk Liquor Spirits, and it was through the uh, Black Spirits Detroit event Usually I'm only interviewing Detroiters. I was there because it was in Detroit. Shout out uh, Lazar Lazar, and everything that he's doing. But that Tusk Liquor brand was uh, it was uh, connected to a family that ended up, you know, finding out that, okay, these are a lot of lands owed to us and, and began growing, you know, a lot of hemp and then transitioning this hemp into rum and mm-hmm. and vodka and different things, but just yeah. that learning curve. But a lot of these same trusts in that same family about what you can do with the land, how things will happen. I mean, really co- connecting what's happened to the black experience throughout history is deep. But during Reconstruction, I don't know how many of us are aware that so fast, so many of the upward mobility strides were made by black people because we were the people that knew how to operate in this agricultural society of America because at the time that's what America was best. So you like exponentially almost like, oh, in in that span of 30 years as those union soldiers were protecting us from the, you know, Ku Klux Klan and these, uh, 
these rebellious Confederates and actually just kind of staying out of our way and allowing uh, black men and women to conduct business and, and grow. It was a lot accomplished in that point in that time. And then these Jim Crow laws, this is where, you know, hmm. things play such a, a, a key role in this changed a lot of that those grandfather's yeah. clauses and yeah. redlining and a lot because reconstruction yeah. changed a lot of america on behalf of black folks fast yeah. and it was powerful because we were the people that had these skill sets yeah i mean yeah. it was a reason why you know though genius brilliant but you know the way that we hold up a George Washington Carver, he was taught a lot of what he knows from other brothers and sisters. Yeah. And a lot of those brothers and sisters that were giving him game were brothers and sisters on plantations that didn't have quote-unquote formal educations. Couldn't write or read but just yeah. knew the understanding of oh, yeah, I'm looking at the sky. I can see that far about to come. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take those crops, use the soil from there, bounce it over to here, and then we can take whatever's excess from that soil. Make sure you draw that up. When you draw that up, that's going to be medicine. And uh, and then, oh, they, we got a couple of these bugs in there? Oh, if we got those bugs, that means that we can use this. This will be some good seasoning. Like, And it was yeah. just like walking encyclopedias of information of how to utilize every piece of of the of the of what it went into farming what went into i guess um you know poultry sciences and things like that like yeah. just dynamic stuff yeah it's i mean and we still have that today yeah. right like like I think what one of the versions of what that looks like now, and I'm talking about like mm -hmm. informal education, but are experts yeah. on something that we all need and we could all benefit from, right? So we have lots of conversation about workforce development, right? And, you know, companies coming or not coming to Detroit because they're supposedly not a skilled workforce here, right? Well, you know, when I grew up, you know, in the 80s, I was born in the 70s, I was growing up in the 80s, like any and everybody that lived in the neighborhood that we grew up in could find work if you wanted to, right? And it's interesting that it eventually started, they, they, they called it work, right, <laughs> after a while. But, right, like the drug dealers in the communities that we grew up in, when the community started to really change after the crack epidemic, right, mm -hmm. They never used that as an excuse. They never used an excuse that, like, people aren't skilled. They were committed. They would recruit and they would train, right? Yeah. And there was science, math, and customer service, yeah. right? There was a lot that went into, like, that occupation, if yeah. you will, Right. And I think that if we really want to understand and know how to create a real skilled workforce in Detroit, we probably should free some of those brothers that are locked up that did it really, really well in the 80s for them to show us how to. Right. Because that they weren't intimidated and they wasn't going to take like that excuse as a reason for to like give up on what it was that they were doing in the, at that time, right? I think that many of them are prepared and ready just in the way that you referenced the folks that probably were mentors and trainers to George Washington Carver. Mm -hmm. I think that we could use them 
their experience, their know-how in a way that we all could probably benefit from. We're just not um, ready to call like non-traditional education something that we all need and, we, and some of that, that, that wisdom and knowledge that we should be submitting to um, as an authority, authority figure on certain subject matters. Very much so. So as we talk about that, in that, your you, your parents were extremely young, so I can only imagine that that paints your childhood d- very different than, like, what a lot of people, I mean, even what you saw when you turned on the television, and it's like, okay, I'm, I, this ain't, I'm not Michael J. Fox. What was that? I forget what, what show that was. Family Matters. Yeah, I, this ain't, uh, yeah, Family Matters, right. or, uh, whatever, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> right. So, um... No, what that wasn't Family Matters. That was a black show. I can't remember what Michael J. Fox was, but mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. So we, so it was, it's, so I grew up. I was was um, born in the schoolcraft area between Southfield and Greenfield, mm. right? So stayed there until I was four, right? Until mm-hmm. my mom and dad were turned turned eighteen. I mean, back then you turned eighteen. They both dropped out of school really, really early. I think mm-hmm. my dad said he did a day in ninth grade. And right? Cody? No. Uh that would have been Cooley if anything. Oh, went to Cooley. Right? So that's where most of my aunts and uncles okay. uh graduated from. So mm-hmm. They both had really big families. So my mom, who's eight of them, hmm. um, and my dad's side is 13 of them. Wow. Right? So I have, you know, probably 100 first uncles cousins. And, yeah, yeah, I was going right? to say, uncles <laughs> right. and aunties. Yeah, like, yeah. Man. So <laughs> really, really big family on both sides. But so that's where I grew up at until I was four, right? So my hmm. parents turned 18. My dad got a job at Ford, and my mom got a job at Chrysler, hmm. right? So they were making some money when they were 18 years old. Mm-hmm. So they were able to buy a house in Rosedale Park. And let me let me say this too for the people watching and and getting an understanding of sometimes if you meet a person from Detroit outside of the system like so like even as industry is 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 as the industrial age is has definitely passed its peak in Detroit especially for black folks you still had in the 80s opportunity where without a college, without a high school, high school diploma, you can walk into a um, a career that provides at least the money and a, a, a standard of life where yeah, yeah, you could be middle class. You could be middle class yeah. because Rosedale Park, if anybody knows, that's one of our the one of the premier communities. Yeah. Detroit, so yeah, definitely. So, we live, and it's funny, we lived, we moved on the very last block in Rosedale Park, so almost on the outskirts, right? Which, but uh, on what side? So, we were on Plainview between Finkel and Outer Drive, okay? Yep, so uh, I remember my mom saying that you know, her real estate agent told her that her and my dad look, they they don't want to sell you, sell y'all this house, mm-hmm. um, but like, y'all have the money. Mm-hmm. Right. But they, they don't want to sell you. But at that time, as white flight was happening, it's not really like other white families were looking to move there. Mm-hmm. Right. They were looking to move out. So, you know, um, so, yeah, that that was uh, a story that I, I never forgot my mom t- sharing with me. But, yeah, so we, we, we lived there. Um, and that when the 80s hit, um, we had some of some, you know, yeah, really dark struggles 
Uh, my dad, who speaks publicly about it often, so I, I'm, I'm comfortable with sharing. Um, he ended up having a, a terrible drug addiction for 10 years, um, and crack was like, um, I don't even know if you would call it a drug, drug of choice, right? As they say, once you try, you ain't choosing it no more. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so dealt with that, and then the, eight, the layoffs hit, right, yeah. in the 80s as well. And we went from middle class to really, really struggling um, in, in, in some of the worst ways. So uh, we moved from Rosedale Park when I was like 11 or 12, and we stayed on 7 Mile um, for a little bit. I went to coffee, and then we ended up moving to Brightmore after a couple years of living off 7 Mile. And, and, and that's one of the things, like a lot of this entertainment uh, and hip hop explores obviously so much in in the drug trade, but the way that it paints the picture, I think, is not. It, it lacks some of the story of it. Like I don't mind, not mind. I mean, I appreciate and I like some of those stories, but yeah. it's a lot of other stories in this game, and that's what I kind of liked at least in the beginning seasons of the television show Snowfall. So we have a. a it's like it's like a retrospective look at crack cocaine now just because you yeah. know i grew up i was born in 82 so the the slogan of you know crack is whack don't do crack almost mm. like idol idolizing the drug dealer and not necessarily showing the relationship between drug dealer drug user is so uh it, it's it almost like it's a blurry relationship in the first place because yeah. it, it for what i've seen living in my neighborhood on my block and i remember you know being young the first time i saw crack i'm like what's that what's, who's doing that one of my one of my homies dad was one of the first people but even before you get that the 1970s had a an era just due to now we're finding out more about america's even involvement in it like um proliferation of cocaine so mm-hmm. cocaine if, if people can kind of get into the, the the scope of this like cocaine powdered cocaine was looked at as something of opulence it was yeah. something of like glamour so almost yeah. the way that jay-z said oh have crystal or something yeah. like it was seen as yeah. like a a, a gucci glamour drug gucci drug yeah. yeah like you know fur coats it's like oh this yeah. is a, a good event you know you're gonna walk in people have on their best stuff it'll be like a, a, a you know some cocaine there and everything yeah. so when crack came crack was like a I want to say, a, for a lack of a better term, like a poor man's version of it. it it'd yeah. be like, almost like if um, I don't know what what if if Rolex came up with a with a you know what I'm yeah. saying like a knockoff. Hey, yeah. Here is a here is the the Rolex watch for you. Yeah. yeah. Without people understanding, so it that just due to like it's like okay, I can I, you know I have a I have a budget for crack. I don't have a budget for powder cocaine. I don't even know. Where you get that, but yeah. I can get my hands on this. And also now that we're seeing the relationship furthermore between um I don't want to say it, it well for like our government or actors in our government supporting the Iran Contra deal of basically there were let, let's just make it plain of you can read this, Dark Water, Gary Webb, I mean yeah. uh Freeway Ricky Ross, uh there was a war during this, like, I guess, uh, America versus, you know, the Cold War conflict. Yeah. And there were certain generals that were like, hey, we would like, you know, another 
forty million dollars in weapons, and then certain Congress people were like, "Nah, we gonna need to audit that and all of this." And and a lot of those generals were like, "We don't have time to do that because we have allegiances and contracts. We have relationships that need to stand in place. And if not, possibly our relationships may turn on us. We need to figure out other ways to get the money to fund our war efforts as generals. What's a good way that we think we can make some money? Why don't we start selling some drugs?" Yeah. And this drugs, weapons, a lot of other stuff, this is what led to the proliferation because it went hand in hand. And I will also argue that um, no one's done the documentary yet, but our our American occupation of Afghanistan, which it was for years the world's biggest producer of poppy seeds, so opiums, coincided with this opioid epidemic epidemic happening here in america so like that's just a okay this happened 20 years ago and it's gonna happen 20 years later as well like monies in america have always not been on the up and up yeah. as being black people we're very aware of that but i wanted to frame that so people kind of get an idea that it wasn't like you know some of this there were other um there were a lot of actors that created crack being so impactful throughout black communities in America. Yeah, I mean it's like it's like most things that we experience that are detrimental, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's nuance, right? It's like mm -hmm. who's to blame? You know yeah. what I mean? It's like I, I spent a lot of time really like being upset only with the government. You know what I mean? Yeah. For the role that the government played. Um but as I you know matured, I'm like but where were we at? You and know we what I mean? played a we played a hell where, of a where, where, like where were we at? Well, especially if you think about like once we saw what it was doing, like to the community and to people, you know. Um, so again, it's, it's nuanced, but I think one of the things that I because if you think about our our generation, right, mm -hmm. um, and me being a little bit older than you, we didn't see crack be it wasn't tempting to us, right? No. Like we had we had some people that fell off, and you like, man, what made you yeah. try that? Yes, right? that's exactly how it because was. Because yeah, we to, knew what it was going. We to, knew what your outcome was going to, to be. To use it, yeah, but to sell <clears> it, <throat> it was so it was to us is yeah. like, oh, this is how yeah. you as a young black man can get a gateway because you won't have any other opportunity. Yeah, you know, I mean, what's what's Jay? What's the classic Biggie line? You either got you either slanging crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. Yeah, yeah. You so know what I'm so saying? so, but the, but the other thing that I thought was like really really because you you have to ask what made the generation before us fall into, into it that. so heavily, mm -hmm. right? But if you think about it, <clears throat> the it's it's not like they were shooting it in their arm, which you know like. You, I'm like, I always wonder what would make you try that. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I realize that that's, it it's escalates. It doesn't necessarily start yeah. with the needle, right? Yeah. But yeah. If, you th if you think about the way it's introduced, it's something that you smoke, right? And yeah. we've been smoking weed for generations. It's, it's like, now nah, it's legal. So it's like, 
the, it still it could appear to be non-threatening yes, or not as serious. Very much so. And furthermore, right? it was the glamorous <clears throat> thing of the day. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. like you're thinking like, wow, I hear about all these parties at Studio 54. I'll never get my hands on powder cocaine. But this I is basically this. the version of that I can get my hands yeah. on. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So it's like, I mean, you would th- it would be the equivalent of like every celebrity you could think of, white, black, throughout ever. Like in the 70s, cocaine was uh, just a known factor of, of throughout society. Yeah. And even of that, you didn't see the quote unquote dark side of it. Yeah. You just saw it as it, like, it was it was like it was like bottle service yes. back then. Right. Yeah, it was like popping bottles. Yeah, it you was like, I mean? oh, we doing, yeah. we doing it big. We exactly. got a party where cocaine is. I mean, yeah. it's still parties like that. But now I believe that through media and attention, it's more awareness of what impacts this could have on you. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's more awareness and crack. Like we say, you know what I'm saying? I, that's where I think the onboarding of many, like you say, it's like smoking weed, but it's glamorous. You know what I'm saying? All the celebrities are doing this. I mean, I want to be like the celebrities. Yeah, I want to pop up and You try it and you're gone. You try it and you're gone. Yeah. And you're, you're chasing these highs. And then, like, um, even for the people in my family, you know, I, I think they have struggled with different addictions, but especially that addiction, it becomes, from when I've had uh, the conversations, like, it becomes almost like a a culture within a culture of itself, like a lot of things can become. Yeah. So the culture within the culture of itself is now you're the person at the job that like, you know, if, if a group of like, if let's say something healthy, like if a group of you and a couple coworkers like to walk, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Walk around the building at lunchtime. Yeah. Y'all kind of going to become more close knit. Those same groups come from drug use as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. One of the things that I would like to point out, though, is like, because you think about, as we're talking about my origin story and, and, and my upbringing, so my dad, I think, started getting high when I was seven. Mm. So you know how that, the crack thing works in phases, right? It's like, mm. you know, you don't start off strung out, yeah. or at least appearing to be strung out, even though you are, right? Yeah. Um, but it's progressive in the way that it impacts your family, right? So um, it take the person that was like my hero and the strongest person, like my dad was like a, a real life, like X-Men, some of the stuff that like you would see him do, you know what I mean? And like this is his son talking about him, but like more so his peers. My dad didn't grow up far from here. So he grew up uh, on, um, oh, man. Not Parkside, but what's the next street over from Parkside? Um, That's um, Wildermere. Is it Wildermere? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so and Finkel. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's from these parts. Footprint. Yeah. Yeah. But um, took him to being like you know really really frail and fragile and and like you know like yeah just just all the way from what you knew him to be to Mm -hmm. something totally different. But you know. Um, I remember my dad used to always tell us, um, yo, just pray for me because like I'm, he would say I'm caught up yeah, and like, there ain't really nothing I can do about it, but like pray for me. And he would say that I knew if nobody else would pray for me, my kids would. That's deep. Right. I mean, and we did faithfully and 10 years 
later, like, you know, 17, when I was, like, really, really frustrated, really, like, needing him to be there the way you need him to be there during those years um, was was when he was delivered. And I'm 30 – no, I'm not 30 anything. I'm 49. So you're talking about, you know um, – he been back for a long time, and he's that hero again to the whole family that we all call on, like, if we need him for anything, and he's there just like he was before. That's powerful. And, and, and then even in that journey, like, it becomes when you're a child, life itself being, a, you know, heading into that teenage stage, you're questioning everything about life, too. But in those understandings, because that's usually where you challenge your parents to be like, because you're you're rediscovering life. Yeah. But when you're rediscovering life as a parent is dealing with yeah. a illness like that. Yeah. I can only imagine that that has such a, a, a tougher impact on you in your interactions of just. You oh, know. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my dad was a, like, you know, super like loving. Um, I mean, imagine how close we were. He was 16. You know what I mean? When he had his son. Right. So. But he also was, like, demanded respect, right? Like, he didn't play any disrespect. So, but to see him go through that, there were times when, like, I just didn't have the same level of respect for him, right? And, like, that, like, really rocks me to this day Mm -hmm. when I think about that, when I was, like, the moments when I, like, in my mind, if nothing else, even if I didn't express it so much outwardly, which I think I did at times, like, to have moments in my life where I didn't respect him the way that I respect him now and I always was taught to or the way I would want my kids to respect me like that like stings now if I think about it and have flashbacks you know so so as that's happening and you said 17 um in that path and then you know you're moving a little bit become more transient as that that's what things happen oh for sure and do for sure uh what what high school so I went to Redford Okay, you went to Red. I went to Cody. Okay, you bounced around. I went to Denby. Oh, and then you went east. <laughs> and I ended up, end up going to a school in Texas called um, uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Wow. Right? Oh, wow. Another yeah. president. Yeah. Uh, how did you end up in Texas? <laughs> so I was, when I was, when I was bouncing from Redford to Cody to Denby, I was, again, I was growing up in Brightmore with, like, you know, my dad kind of in the streets. And... It was Brightmore in the 80s, and it was wild. And yeah. folks that you went from being your friends that you played, uh, that you hooped with or played mm-hmm. football in the street with, when you started to, to uh, beef with each other, it would get really, really violent in some imagine. really, really, like, ways that I'm, like, embarrassed to even talk about, yeah. right? And I was dealing with a lot of pain from my dad not being there the way that I mm-hmm. knew him to be and what, like, you know, it could be, and that's like you, like 15 years old, the man of the house in Brightmore, and people will try you yeah. in Brightmore. Mm-hmm. So you, like my personality is the one that's like, okay, like I'll see you and I'll raise you, right? So in times where I would get tested, like I would be one of those people that would take it to like a place that you probably didn't want to take it to. You were, uh, as they say, as they say in quote unquote street rules or prison rules, it's like if you think a fight is about to happen, strike first. That's what they say. 
Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, I don't, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it, if, it, if it a, makes, if, it if makes street logic. If there's a chance, like, it, yes, yeah. It makes all the street logic in the world, but yeah. you would think it outside of living in environments like that, you'd yeah. be like, why would you do that? It's yeah. like, well, nope. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. And I mean, and then and, and you couple that with having some experiences where, you know, my dad was like, you know, don't hit anybody until unless they hit you first. And once you have a couple experiences where that don't go right, yeah. you're like, man, no, that's I'm not. striking first. Yeah. You know, but then you couple that with the anger that I had that mm-hmm. I didn't know how to process, yeah. right, that I was dealing with from the fact that he, like, wasn't there and, you know, kind of watching my mom try to navigate all, yeah. and, like, uh, provide for us with, again, like, ninth grade education and no longer working at the factory. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I, I had a lot of anger that I didn't know. I didn't even know I was dealing with until I was an adult and, and able to look back and was like, oh, man, like, you was mm-hmm. tripping. And mm-hmm. you was really angry. You didn't have a space to process that. You know what I mean? So I would just kind of, like, act out. So anyway, you know, gotten to enough altercations to where, you know, people tried to hurt me. I tried to hurt people. Yeah. And um, my mom wanted me to go live with my aunt and uncle in Texas when I was 15. How close were you with your aunt and uncle before that move? So my aunt was my mom's baby sister. Okay. So she was she has a twin brother. And they were six years older than me. So I kind of grew up like their little brother. Uh, Um, And remember, I lived with them for my first four years before Mm -hmm. my mom and dad, you know, got jobs at the plant and we moved out. So I was kind of like her, like my aunt's little brother. Now, um, her husband um, is like one of the closest people to me, like right now to this day. Um, And he married into the family. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm like my Aunt Kim's little brother, but I was I would be real protective of her. And I never liked any boyfriend that she had. Hilarious. Ever. You know what Hilarious. I mean? Until him. Right. Hey, wait, time out. Let me say this. Yes. If you if you are if you happen to be dating a young woman in Brightmore <laughs> Mm-mm. And she has the porch of brothers on the porch. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> make sure you yeah, uh, <laughs> gotta come right. Make sure you have come right. your face, uh, right. shake come hands, right. to speak directly. <laughs> but okay, <laughs> come right. But yeah, so so we were really close. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom wanted me to go and live with her when I was fifteen, and this is when I was like really just kind of like, yeah, you know, just on the wild. Yeah, um, and I didn't want to go, and I remember, you know, like there was. Uh, some really, really, like, violent stuff that was happening. Um, and, you know, some people that, you know, basically tried to kill me. Mm. And they, my mom wanted me to move out of state. I didn't want to go. And I remember I was packed up in the car with my aunt and uncle, and we were getting ready to get on the freeway, um, right at Greenfield, getting ready to get on 96. Um, and... I started to cry, right? Mm-hmm. And my uncle looked over and saw tears coming down my eyes, and he was like, you don't want to go? And I said, no. And he said, if I leave you, will you be safe? And I said, those guys aren't like that. I was like, you know, that their efforts failed, they're probably, like, hiding, wondering what retaliation is going to look like. So I'm not, I'm not in danger, right? Mm-hmm. 
So he turned around. He made a U-turn, turned around, took me back, and he walked me back in the house with my stuff and told my mom. And we were uh, everybody was gathered on my grandmother's house to see my aunt and uncle off because uh, they would come for the summer. And um, he told my mom, he's like, look, like he doesn't want to go. Um, so if he doesn't want to go, like I'm not going to take him, mm-hmm. right? And I really appreciated him for that. Um, but fast forward two years later, I was tired of like, you know, my own. Exhausted. Of yeah, that. yeah. I was just tired, man. I, yeah. I remember praying specifically and asking God to like send me a pos- some positive real- male role models. Mm. And my aunt and uncle came back up that summer. And I remember we was just kicking it. And it was just like one of those moments where everybody was gathered. And it was just two of us. Where I, only he could hear what I said. And I was like, hey, does that offer still stand to come come back to San Antonio with y'all? And he said, you want to go this time? He, no, he said, are you ready? I said, yeah. And he said, we leave such and such a date, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had my stuff packed, ready to go. And I went. And um, living in San Antonio opened up my worldview, right? Like I only had Detroit, the blocks and Brightmore yeah. and, and BET, right, mm-hmm. and MTV, and the jukebox, you know what I mean, shaping the way I saw the world. And when I went there and got a chance to hang out, kick it with, meet people from all over with different perspectives, just my worldview uh, was just just broadened. So I, I do want to frame up, especially like late '80s San Antonio. I immediately think you you may have ran across Shaquille O'Neal, but uh, I used to, yeah. So we used to hoop. So, so I, I hoop. Okay, I hoop we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we definitely about to ask that <laughs> yeah, question, but yeah. but. For people that don't know, Texas, as they always say, it's like, Texas is not a part of America. Texas is... They really believe that. It's a different culture, and it's a lot of different parts of Texas. And and right now, it's like more attention in and around, because I believe like a lot of people I know are moving to Houston, Dallas. I mean, it's almost like a Detroit constituency in Dallas. It's like the D in Dallas. Yeah, there's there's groups called Detroiters in Dallas. Like my, my oldest child, my daughter... My son-in-law and my grandson live in Dallas, or it's a suburb of Dallas right yeah. now. And, yeah. and so, and it's a different culture. But San Antonio is as I mean more so than like the Alamo, but it's a it is a military town. Yes, it may be one of the biggest military cities, yeah. in, like San Antonio or San Diego. Either you know, take a choice yeah. of like big time, like almost so many. So much happens there and are grounded there and stationed there that it has an impact on the culture of the whole oh, definitely. city. Definitely. What was it like just touching down and just being from Detroit? Because I know they can <laughs> immediately tell oh, yeah, you you're not that. from around. You know that. Yeah. So so it was definitely definitely that, right? Um, and, you know, it was just like a culture shock for me. So coming from Detroit where it's so black, yeah. right? And I only knew black and white. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we didn't go to Southwest Detroit. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you kind of stayed in your neighborhood. You went to the east side where your great-grandmama lived. You know what I mean? And you would go hang out over there. But that's pretty much it. Um, so being there, my uncle had to teach me the difference between, like, Mexicans, mm-hmm. Puerto Ricans, um, like, Asians that were from Korea, China, Japan, you know what I mean? And he was like trying, and and I was young and could be dismissive at times. 
and insensitive, but he was like, look, like, you know, you're going to be fighting a lot if you don't, like, respect other people's cultures. And I'm like, I'm used to yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, but, right. like, I, I, I think that, you know, one, I didn't want to bring drama with me there. Yeah. And the people that he would hang out with, because he was in the Army, were just super cool. So you always want to respect them. He was. He was in the Army stationed at Fort Sam. So when I first moved there, we we stayed in an apartment, like Mm -hmm. across the street from Theodore Roosevelt, the high school I went to. Mm -hmm. Eventually uh, got housing like on the Army base. And I was going to ask that question too, because what is it like, because I've met a lot of people that, are in the military service and I hear like, you know, your family can stay here. What's it like to be a non-service member living on a military base? Yeah, it's, it's, it's you're one of the only people walking around with a beard. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 17 and, uh, you know, I'm walking around with a beard. Everybody else is clean shaven. But mm-hmm. the, the cool thing was you asked about like Shaq. Yeah. So Shaq was in LSU when we moved on base, but his family lived about three doors down from us on wow. Fort Sam. Right? Shaq had a sister with a jerry curl that was like 13, mm. like 6'2", 6'3". Out there playing with 13-year-olds. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Okay. It was crazy, but um, he would come home on holiday break and whatnot and come up and, and hoop up at the um, on the Army base. Okay, now, did you ever? You know where I'm about to go with this. Because I see you said yeah, that. Because, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Shaq tell them stories like, you know, I couldn't dunk when I was in ninth grade and all that. By that time, no. LSU Shaq. Oh, and, Shaq and was I, a I mean, beast. my mood, Chris, yeah, Chris Jack, three, my mood, three, I do three, around. Three, 3% body fat. And it was interesting because, like, I mean, you you on an army base with people from all over the country, right? So guys up there really would, like, try to act like, they would be playing hard when he coming up there to work on a part of his game. You know what I mean? Yes. So they up there like, in, in their mind, if I could score on Shaq, I could be in the NBA or, you know what I'm saying, I could be D1 or whatever. So you would see that happening. And the thing about it was he was so big that he could take them, hacking them and all that, and it really didn't bother him. But but, but I, I'll tell you all an embarrassing story that I really don't talk about. I can't believe I'm about to tell this story. So I'm, I was 17 at the time. And you know how, like, between pickup games, everybody's shooting around. Yeah. So between one of the pickup games, I went and kind of put my back on Shaq and act like I was posting them up and started calling for the ball. So I did like this. You know, I got him like this, kind of like I got him pinned. <laughs> so now, now, now Shaq are, is only two how, years older than me. How tall are you at this time? I'm 6'1". I'm 6'1". <laughs> so, 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 so Shaq, like, takes his left hand, right? And, and and his left arm and kind of picks me up by my waist and, and lift me up from posting from standing in front of him like I'm posting him and sits me behind him. Right? Just with one hand. Man, I was Hit so look, I I was so mad and felt so violated <laughs> when he did that. I was like <laughs> I was like, don't do that. Don't do that no more. As if I was gonna do something. Yeah, I was gonna do that. Like, you definitely don't, don't do that. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> it's like if he didn't like, do that, I don't think throwing. Yeah, no, no, no. But but yeah, I would have I would have been too quick for to, to, for him dad. for him for him to hurt me. But yeah, that's that that's how strong he was. It was it was interesting because he had a they lived down the street. So when he would come home for the holiday, he would come down and he had like this Grand Cherokee that mm-hmm. you could tell that the seat was like made to fit him. Mm-hmm. So it was sitting in the back. He was really down to earth and cool and would just like kick it. 
Um, and I kind of had a chip on my shoulder and wanted to make sure he didn't think I was trying to, like. Yeah, juice him. Yeah, you know what I mean? So we, ne- we never really kicked it, even though he, he was, was really cool down to earth. And anytime he was, with, you know, you catch him coming down the street, he'd be like, what's up? You know what I mean? And uh, I just never wanted him to think that, like, I was one of the people trying to, like. Get something. Because you will see that around, like, yeah, so. I'd assume so. So from there, you come back to Detroit. Was yep. it always in mind, like, when you got there that I'm going to go back to the D? Did you ever think, be, I mean, you're on Army base. Did you ever think, mm, maybe I do, you know, maybe I soldier? I mean, at that time also. It, I considered it. it. I, I know Desert Storm <clears throat> comes almost, like, immediately. Yeah. And it's funny, my one of my older cousins was dating a guy, and then the next thing, you know, Desert Storm popped off, and it's like, he's about to be deployed as a soldier. And, yeah. like, you know how you look up to your cousin's boyfriend like i'm a kid so it's yeah. like wow for yep. real and yep. <laughs> you know what yeah. i'm saying <laughs> but yeah so i'm sure that you know maybe you're maybe he was deployed i mean i don't know like no um, no no my uncle's a scientist um yeah, yeah he's a scientist he's a he's a brainiac but yeah, he, he doesn't he doesn't uh he doesn't come aco- across that way in fact he don't even talk about like what he does by vocation and I'm I, and I always I'm always on him about that. I'm like, look, man, like your nephews and nieces need to know like what it is that you do. Like mm-hmm. he is, um, and I'm probably gonna jack it up, but he is one of the places like on the globe that trains people to deal with disease outbreak, mm-hmm. but also um, chemical warfare. Mm-hmm. Right, so like they help put together like a plan to contain, right? So he's like um, an epidemiologist. I don't, I don't yeah, even okay. know the the, the name, so, but he, yeah. but he, but he's 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 the man there now. Um, he's been he was been doing that type of work since I was living with them way mm-hmm. back when. But so, to, but to answer your question, um, I was, I thought about it at one point, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you know. Truth be told, like I got in trouble and got kicked out of all high schools in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, you, got, you were uh, yeah, bouncing around yeah, down yeah. there too. Well, I, I couldn't bounce around. I was like, at that point, I thought about just um, getting a GED and joining the Army. Mm. And, man, you're getting all kind of like stuff that I don't even talk about. I ain't even shared nowhere publicly yet. I was mm. waiting on the book. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's like the yeah, different, yeah. different is a precursor. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But, yeah, so, so. You know, when I um, ended up getting into a fight with some gang members there and got kicked out of school for, like, mm-hmm. all of the schools. That, and that, that was, like, some, yeah, it was, that was nuanced again, right? Yeah. Like, my fault, like, definitely my fault, because I, I could have avoided, like, the conflict to mm-hmm. begin with. But there was... But the way somebody, that, yeah, I, I, the way, the way that they, the way saying, they the penalized me was the yeah. way the discipline was doled yeah. out. Yeah, I'd never been in any trouble before. The yeah. understanding that with bo- the testosterone and boys, like I mean, you, you and I, we've been we we're we're men. We know, like yeah. we know if we 
you know, if me and you do a, a Detroit is different, Black Leaders Detroit retreat where we take a hundred little homies that are between the ages of fourteen, you gonna break and some 17. stuff up. You gonna have to break some stuff. Yeah, up. We, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We, it, it, it's yeah. just gonna happen. You know it's what I'm saying? Yeah. So with that, you have to be keep that in mind and be fair and balanced in how you dull it out. And, and that's we can't not what have happens. like one of our camp advisors' sons be like, "All right, you know what? Just apologize to him." And then yeah. we go to the other kid and we be like, "Look, we about to kick you out and we about to press charges yeah. on you and we about to make sure." Da, 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 yeah. da, 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 you know. Yeah, I, I, I had some I had some good teachers there. Yeah. But there was definitely a culture that you described when you talk about like Texas not wanting oh, yeah. to be part of the US. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Um this I, I never forgot this. The um Oh, keep so, going, keep so going. I, I ne- so one of my teachers um caught me in a hallway. She knew I was from Detroit. She caught mm-hmm. me in a hallway. Um, white 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 woman, and she said, "Hey, I have a joke that I want to tell you." And she's smiling, and she's like, "Can't wait to say it." And she's like, "Well, you got to promise not to be get offended." So I'm like, "Okay, I'm like, that's okay, weird. that's already weird." Yeah, right. So she <laughs> said, "What are three things that a, a Texan hates to see coming?" Oh shit! Right. So. She that said, already, that "Right, it seems like it's about to go left." She said, "A Mexican with a knife, a nigga with a gun, and a Yankee with a U-Haul truck." Mm. Right, and she just busted out laughing. Damn. Right, so like understanding the power dynamics there with her being my teacher, mm-hmm. and um, I really wanted to call her some choice words. I'm sure you know what I mean. And um, that was one of the moments that kind of like shapes the way that I move now. Like so that's, much that's, different that's, than an yeah. all black Detroit. Okay, exactly. And then being a kid hearing that. Yeah. Right. It's different than being a, if as an adult, I'm not saying that it don't bother you, but it's like, yeah. well, I mean, what do you expect? You know but what I'm the, saying? But but the thing that I I do now is I always address issues that make me feel uncomfortable in real time. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I never so like you could as you can imagine, many of us have had that that experience where at that night you can't even sleep because you're like, man, I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have did mm-hmm. this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If they say it, if they do that again, this is what I'm going to do next time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I never have those kind of nights now because I always say um, what I feel or what I'm thinking in the moment. Um, so I think that's one of the things that kind of like shapes the way that I move and I navigate when people do something that's offensive, even if it's by accident. Of course, I deal with it differently if it's somebody doing something that offends me out of ignorance versus somebody that's intentionally trying to be offensive, right? But I always deal with it in real time. My my thought is if I'm going to be made to feel uncomfortable, we might as well both be uncomfortable. I'm with it. Yeah, Mm. and and it takes a while to get to that point, especially when you're a child. Like, how do you respond to that? You know, I got a nephew in L.A. that's dealing with, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was just called nigga for the first time not too long ago in the mm. school. And How old was, is he? It, he is 11, about to be 12 in February. Mm. Um, he's going to, like, he's changed school. He was at, like, more, I guess, the select schools. Now he's more in a, like, community school yeah. where it's a predominantly... Um, and then you can't just say, like, a Mexican school because it's even different... It's different... Uh, you know, cultures within Mexican, especially in like a, a place like L.A., like yeah. you, it's not just like Mexican. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's 
it's different cultures even within that. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, so in that and how you respond to stuff like that, it it, it takes, you know, it, it it centers you different. Yeah, you know? man. You know, and his, yeah. his response, and I thought it was good for an 11-year-old. His response was like, tomorrow I want to wear my Black Lives Matter shirt. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's, 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 yeah. that's very, you know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. that's a great response, yeah. you know? And so, like, I, I, I definitely think that, you know, in that journey, so you come back to Detroit, and Lord yeah. knows, and, and we're going to pick up with another interview because this is, <laughs> right, this right. is very interesting. I see, I I see, see what we're looking at time-wise. Yeah. So, like, you, you do have in mind, I'm coming back to Detroit. Why? You know, because at that point, especially, and that's the other thing about being cool with military people is they're traveling the world. Sometimes a person, you know, you're hearing about Germany, you're hearing about France. Yep. You, at that point, I assume you've heard about so much more. Oh, definitely. Even the Shaquille O'Neal's, you yeah. know, the O'Neal family. You can walk <laughs> over there like, oh, you ain't never been to uh, Hamburg. You ain't never been yeah. to, you know, uh, you know, Kazakhstan. Like, yeah, it's yeah. a gateway to hear about the world. Yeah. But you come back to the D. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, and on, your, on that point, my, my closest friend, uh, Matt, was Mexican dude who had moved to San Antonio from Germany because his mom was mm. in the army, right? And um, Matt, shout out Matt. He, um, his nickname was Spray. Mm. He used to rock a high top fade that um, he must have used like a can of hairspray to get it ready every day. <laughs> high, he had a high top fade as tall as kids uh-huh. uh, from kid and play. And um, uh-huh. but but. To your point, I mean, to your back to your your your, your question, I think yeah, move back to Detroit um, after things just didn't work out there. And in fact, I was supposed to just come back to Detroit for the summer, end up staying. Um, okay. And. But it's yeah. still that's still something because now you have <clears throat> ideas and point of access oh, yeah. to so much more. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And yeah. to even choose to stay says a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I miss my family, and my friends here, mm-hmm. um, a lot. Right, like I'm. I mean, I love my family, yeah. and I was away from my my sisters, away from my mom, and, and all my friends that I had. Um, but but being away, I think, really gave me an opportunity, like you said, to see other things, to have exposure, and understand that the world was a lot bigger than the stuff that was happening in my little neighborhood or other neighborhoods that I would hang out in because of friends and family. Um, around the city right and definitely you know like the thing about going to school in Detroit where I went to school and when I went to school now granted I had peers at Redford which is would really be my kind of my home school Mm. like I had peers at Redford that was about their business yeah right but most of the people that I was hanging out with like it was cool the more you didn't care Mm. the cooler you seemed to be and the more people seem to respect you or admire you. So that's kind of the, the, the character or persona that I took on when I was here. Hmm. I'm a really competitive person, right? Yeah. So I went to San Antonio. My peers were competing academically. Hmm. So the, all the kids wanted to look at your report card to make sure that they outdid you. Right. In, in the classes. Wow. So that became the reality. So now it's like I'm trying to study for the first time. Right. Now it's always the type of student that picked up. I can learn really well. 
right, and fast. And learning didn't come hard to me. Um, I just didn't put the effort in. Exactly. So, so at that, and I know I'm placing this on you, and this goes right into as we wrap talking about Black Leaders Detroit. At that point, are you seeing it like, you know, if my homies could just get hip to this culture, then it changes the reality for Detroit. And I know I'm putting that in your eye, mind, but like, was that kind of some of what was starting to form at that point in time? It it, it, did, it didn't start to form just just yet, uh-huh. right? Um, because I put myself so far behind, like academically, that I just wasn't really prepared and set up for success. Yeah. Um, and so at a certain point, everybody was graduating going off to college i was trying to figure out what am i going to do i'm working doing stock at at abc warehouse you know what i mean and i just knew that they were all going to come home like so so now my my peers are like they you know they've graduating and they're in school so i know that they're coming home with a degree and a career and i was like man i can't be doing stock you know what i'm saying when they come home and i can't be like a person that's working these dead end jobs. Like I need to learn how to do something. And I ended up getting into construction and learning skilled trades. And my mind's always worked in shapes, dimensions and, and problem solving. So um, I started taking up carpentry and got decent at it, you know, but I think that I'm wired to be an entrepreneur as well. So I ended up, you know, doing that for a while. And the thing was, it just opened up different doors for me, you know? And what I realized is as long as you know how to do something, like if you are looking for a job, the job's looking for you too. And I think that's the position I was in after I like started that part of my journey. So, and I speak about black leaders, Detroit, because it's such a, it's such a, a needed business model. And then your, your, Attitude and optimism, I feel like, so much in it, as much as you definitely speak to uh, systemic racism and everything. But your optimism has always been, every time I've connected with you, has been, like, almost built in and around the concept of, like, look, if you present it right, you put it on paper right, it's not even an option to move around the momentum that we have as a people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think... I know you like we got to fast forward and get to this now, <laughs> so, but, but it's like I appreciate the conversation. I, no, no, the reason why I was looking, reason I was looking forward to it, but yeah. it's um, when I started getting into nonprofit work, especially if you're talking about structure. Mm-hmm. Um, my observation was, oftentimes we start initiatives, and we're practitioners. Right. So like we start a, a we start nonprofits to solve the problem that we dealt with. Mm-hmm. Right. That we were fortunate enough to overcome. Yes. And we're trying to scale it. We don't call it that. Right. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to scale it. We're like, OK, let me go and show others how to beat this thing that was like. Tearing my family up or, yeah. or I was fell victim to or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. Let me go and show others how to do it. And we often dive in with our own experience, passion, abilities, and bank account, right? Yeah. And what yeah, I, it would be like if, if for that, he said, like if 
from hearing his story, if if he started a foundation right now where it's like, look, I'm taking 17-year-old little homies where we're going to go on two-month expeditions in the summertime. Yeah. Where we gonna pick different cities where we yeah. think that economy is starting up, yeah. and it's like who gonna pay for that? Exactly, I'm gonna pay for that first. <laughs> That's it. That's it. My first initiative, Kyrie, was uh, a home that was kind of like family home that I ended up buying for my father and my stepmother, and I turned that house. I, it was investment property. I had mm. somebody that was working at Chrysler, paying, living there, paying me every month. And I took that house and felt like God was telling me to do something different with it mm. and started to use that house for a transition house for young men in that neighborhood that wanted to stop selling drugs. Wow. So this is almost like this is that story that, like this I said. This is it, bro. This that, is it. That was exactly so, that. So took took the house and me and a friend of mine, shout out Hemp, um, we would go around to local drug houses, knock on the door ask for whoever was leading it and say, hey, and we'll talk to him and say, look, like, if there's anybody here that you know is not cut out for this, send them with us. Or if there's anybody here that's tired of trying to make this work and they want to try something else, send them with us, right? And we would have daily prayer and Bible study with them. But at the time I was working at Ford and doing, like, construction work, and I would take them out and try to teach them a trade. And if I didn't have work for them, I would connect them with other contractors that I'd work with and have them work with them. Now, now and, wait, let, let me give this disclaimer, too, and I've had to do this on another interview, too, <laughs> for somebody else. The work that he's doing is so powerful, traits like that. Now, if you're watching that, you better have had some street knowledge to know how to walk up on a spot Oh yeah, in a, in yeah, a yeah, missionary yeah. capacity. Yeah. Really... In any capacity, all right? Yeah. So I just want to get yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that I'm disclaimer. Not, I'm not suggesting anybody okay, go yeah, that's all and I'm knock saying. on the door so like, don't, don't of, of a like, local wow, drug house. That's, 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 that, that's a yeah. program that we yeah. can do, and you have no street experience. And when I mean street yeah. experience, I'm not talking about your cousin is in the street. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you better have a great understanding yeah. of that culture. For like, sure, continue. for sure, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, remember I said my family was from that mm -hmm. neighborhood, so... All those guys that were doing that, like yeah. I'd either looked out for them in some kind of way. They yeah. knew that the love was there and the respect yes. was there. Yes. And they know I wasn't coming like, hey, I'm about to call the police on you or anything yeah. like that. It was like, hey, I understand y'all making tough choices. You know what I mean? Yes. You don't think that there's other options. And I'm just wanting to say there are other options. Let me introduce you to one. You know what I mean? And the one is not just necessarily carpentry for me is jesus you know what i mean because like that's what ultimately like really really works for me and you know you don't hear me like preach or anything no. like that i'm i'm more like trying to follow the commandment to love that's what i try to do you know what i mean which which but, is still a, a, a way of welcoming a person into follow that because it yeah. to me it's it's the best way especially dealing with brothers like you know Brothers in our community, yeah. because it's going to be hard to because we've been pitched the whole. Yeah, yeah. Up, I'm not trying. To, I'm not you trying to hear the that. The best way is yeah. like he moved cool. He seemed cool. I like how he get man. What is your? What's your source? Where Where are you getting your water? Exactly. From? And it's like, hey, this is my game. Exactly. And then that make a, a brother step back and say, hmm, okay. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. For sure. So 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 that was it. So fast forward, did ran that house Westwood and Schoolcraft for five years. And was doing it out of me and my wife's budget, man. And, you know, 06 hit. I took the buyout from Ford, started my 
company officially and ran it. And then 08, the bottom fell out. So it was really, really rough. But I was still able to manage it for another few years, right? Mm-hmm. And I had to shut the doors in five, after five years of, of running it out of our own uh, bank account, putting a new roof on it, new furnace in there, making sure that the bills were always paid and whatnot. And just couldn't sustain it. And DeWan is definitely saying the the functional things. I've ended up with I don't know you know this this just happened in the community. I have extra space. I've definitely let let a person stay. Oh yeah, you're yeah, talking about all it's that. It's gonna be other challenges. One of oh, the key sure. challenges usually as a person that's finding their footing. One thing about I found as people find footing, one thing they can't they don't have problems with is finding love. And sometimes the interpersonal relationship. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness, bro. <laughs> Bro. I'm just throwing that out there for the other person that may got this on their heart. You got to know how to even manage that because, you know, these grown people. So you can't say, hey, yo, man, you can't be hooking up with people and you need a place to stay. You got to. Bro, like you was there, wasn't you? <laughs> you, <laughs> you, was there. <laughs> you were there, bro. You was there. Like, <laughs> you was there. Oh, my goodness, man. But, but, but also having multiple brothers there yeah. that are from like that. Yeah. That 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 walk of life yeah. and having to come over there at twelve o'clock in the morning from my warm bed and my wife like, Where you going? You know what I mean? I'm gotta go over here and yeah, break up, you know what I mean? Altercation. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. You got, girlfriend parked in my girlfriend. Uh, bro, like you know, all kind of <laughs> stuff. Like, oh, um, you making me have flashbacks, yeah, no, bro. Right. Yo, man. <laughs> but 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 the the thought of shutting that down when I, I know the impact that it was having. Yes. Right? When I ended up working at Life Remodeled, one of the things I really wanted to understand and learn was how some of the white-led nonprofits raised so much money and so much mm. momentum, mm. right? And I got a great education there, right? Mm. Like, Chris knows how to run a nonprofit well. He knows what it takes to raise money. And I was able to get a really good education there, right? I, mm. you know, I think that he'll tell you how much I taught him about working in Detroit and across across cultural divides. But, like, make no mistake about it, like, the stuff that y'all, like, that I get to do and you see me doing is because, like, I was a student, like, in the class there. You know what I mean? Um, And and the thing about it, what what I really appreciated about Chris is that he was never intimidated by, like, talent or ambition. You know what I mean? So it's not like... He would do, you hear brothers that, that work in skilled trades at the plant often say when they came and, and started working in skilled trades or became a tech, the white dude that was already doing that job would have them go get coffee while they did the like intricate part of the job. So that yeah. when they come back, it'll take them forever to learn and understand. Like Chris did the opposite. You know what I mean? Like he always had me there when he was raising money with the big check writers. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, and that happens... Sometimes, I mean, it's it's weird because, you know, people be like, it's black people, too. And I've been the person to say some of that as well, because some of this just due to this society forces us to be that way. Almost it's competitive. It's this. Hey, here we go. Another Kobe and Shaq. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, like, yeah. when you see someone else with talent and young and you're thinking, like, this person will spot on their own. This is putting you, you know, it puts you. Some people yeah. embrace that. I mean, me, I feel like I embrace competition. If you yeah. can get me to, and I, you know, Dewan's definitely that. Dewan is going to press you. He's going to want your best. 
because that's where he wants to function. Because yeah. I think he's it's back to the athletics of it. If he starts accepting slipping, he's going to start slipping because yeah. he's going to be like, well, at least I'm one step ahead of him. Yeah. And then you play a team that's a real team, and you're like, damn, yeah. I thought we were good. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and we have it in us. You know what I mean? We have it in us. So it's like either we're going to accept, like, the bare minimum from each other mm-hmm. or we're going to challenge each other, yeah. right? I'd rather somebody challenge me and say, yo, Dewan, I think you got more to give than that. You know what I mean? And that's the type of team that we have at Black Leagues Detroit. So I'll talk about Black Leagues Detroit a little bit. Yeah. We are a funding vehicle for black entrepreneurs operating in the city of Detroit. So we fund nonprofit and for-profit um, organizations or businesses, right? And we do that two ways. We have grants and we do a no-interest loan. That's right. I said no-interest loan. So we launched the no-interest loan this year in January with the goal of doing $500,000 in loans, our largest product being $20,000. And we are on track to hit that goal. We will be approving... Um, about $148,000 in loans on Friday, Dope. hopefully, Dope. which we're at $152,000 already dispersed. <laughs> so that $148,000 will get us right to uh, that $500,000 goal. And I'm excited about that, and I can't wait um, to let everybody know what we have in store for next year because that's just scratching the surface this pilot year, right? Yeah. So we're just getting started. But that was a response to me having to close the door on Westwood, right? It's like if we had the resources there, we could have continued to have, do the work, have the impact, right? Um, And I think that we see so many black entrepreneurs that either are running like shops, stores, you name it, and they are struggling to keep the doors open, struggling to keep staff because they don't have the same access to capital as some of our white colleagues, right? Definitely. Like, I, I don't walk in and get the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. that, that that Chris would, right? Yeah. But if I can come in already showing impact, then, like, for, for us, a few things happened that really, really worked well for us, Right? Terrible for the families, right? And I'm talking about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, right? And then the young folks that were protesting and making sure that there was a mirror held up to us as a nation, right? And they're protesting in the middle of COVID. Yeah. So those things happening took organizations and made them figure out how to align with black-led organizations. And we were in, in, in line to to have those relationships and take them to the next level and really benefit from it financially. So we've raised a, a decent amount of money from the foundation, philanthropic community, uh, corporations and whatnot. Um, but you know that that's not our long-term approach to raising money. And let me say this, as, as I, I give, you know, give Tuesday happened not too long ago. I gave to a lot of different organizations. I was, but before give Tuesday, I gave to black leaders to trade. I told them before, um, I know I'm I'm cutting some of the pitch, but I want you to definitely pick up with this in this. And I'm finding is like, you know, Detroit is different. Community group is a baby uh, nonprofit. But I'm, I have a lot of business experience from who my father as a CPA is, grandfather as a club owner, my other grandfather, my mom ran a flower shop. Like it's something to 
when you can get independent capital that it's one of the weirdest things. It's like you can get money if you don't need money. And that sounds very odd, hmm. kind of like swing first. Mm-hmm. But that's like the business version of swinging first. Hmm. If if it shows that it's lucrative and the and the and it's a locomotive, like if the, if it shows that the train is going to be out the station no matter what, whatever form of investment or giving, almost you know people are more confident in it yeah. because often oftentimes it's a lot of projects where you know great projections, great ideas, great theories. But if basically you present to me a package where it's like, yo, this plan is perfect. I just need your $50,000. And it's like, how much money have you given? Not a damn thing. Then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so basically what you're saying is I'll give you this 50000 And most people know this. The project probably, if when I do budgets, I, I, I make a budget and I multiply it by 1.33, meaning that whatever I smart. thought it was is probably going to be 33% That's smart. more than whatever most people, it is. Most people will like try to subtract the Point three three, yes. and say well, I can do it for less than what it really costs to do it because that's not going to scare people off if yes. I tell that. You know what I mean? If I'm a philanthropist or let's just say like a let's just say you're just a person that wants to do good. You know what I'm saying? You just want to see something positive. I want to see that it can happen. Yeah. You sometimes want that track record. Hence, it's imp- it is imperative of us as a community to support efforts like Black. Leaders Detroit, like in so many uh, Black leaders Detroit, and so many of uh, of Detroit, Detroit yeah. is different. Like if we support our own communities with our own money, it makes it yeah. so much easier for us to raise money because it's like, oh, we got a proven track record. We yeah. have even if the people that are given are all given fifty cents because it shows that I have a database of seven hundred thousand yeah. people, people that all gave you. fifty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 I think that that's. One of the things, right? So <clears throat> I'm excited about an initiative that's happening. Um, I think it's coming next year in June, uh, uh, Blacks in Philanthropy. So mm-hmm. shout out to Colin Mays and the teams that's putting that on. Mm-hmm. Um, you should definitely have him on on, on, the, on the podcast hey, let's too. let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, but um, I just, I just, I just want to really look into the, the camera and tell people, like, we need you, right? I think that's part of the story that's often not told that way think we see ourselves in a posture of needing so much that that's the way we talk about us and what we ask people to do at Black Leaves Detroit is to donate a dollar a week right $52 a year $4.33 a month whichever way is most suitable for you and we're changing the face of the hero so we want to tell the story that like it was you that helped us disperse. We're at nine hundred thousand dollars dispersed to black entrepreneurs so far, and we're just scratching the surface. And that's because you either believe in us and we'll continue, or you don't believe us in us and we'll stop, right? But um, if we can't depend on like people like you to donate a dollar a week, these foundations won't continue to write six-figure checks to us. Um, so we hope that you would do that at blackleavesdetroit.org. And I'm going to go a step further. And, and I already told, because he hired one of, talk about people that push you. He hired my homie Sharia. You guys are familiar with Sharia. And Shout out to Sharia. World. But um, I'm going to go a step further. Um, I'm going to match, I want to do 10 people. So so meaning that 10, you give your $52, Detroit is different, will give 520 You know what I mean? And that's going to start for 2023. 2024, we're going to get up to 20. 
and so forth and so on. And I think I can get some other organizations to jump on board with these types of initiatives yes, sir. to think about it. You know, yes, everybody, you know, when we were all getting our stimulus and and, and uh, some PPP loan money, everybody had these susus going, which always, like I told people, it's like, man, I support you. This theory being that I know a lot more about economics will never work, but it's like, look, brother, here you go. Just because, <laughs> right. you know, I'm not signing and up. I'm out. I'm not a damn right, person, right. but here you go. <laughs> you know, right. but if, if since I can do that, I think I can get something like this going, which it will actually see that investment back in our communities. Yeah. So in knowing, you know, like, it, and this is all inter, interrelated. Marini uh, is going to do something, a Kwanzaa, a, a, a Kwanzaa camp for children connected because now she's she won a grant through Black Leaders Detroit out of just mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so it's it's things like that and she's somebody that definitely has a lot of information about inter engaging students in information onboarding them and it's like how is she gonna get things going for her project and her programming and, and I'm not saying it would be impossible but now it's like oh I didn't even expect that to be coming on me now it lays on me I get yeah. to get out some game and some some to work with some little homies and you all with parent that are parents and stuff like that, you know that your kids are usually in school and they out of school for a whole week. You still want to go to work or kick back and do whatever. Now you got something. All this is all interrelated. It's That's all it. community. That's it. Because she had the money from Black Leaders Detroit to execute this Kwanzaa program to teach children. Now you can have your house in peace instead of... <laughs> Kids jumping around and stuff like that. No doubt. And then no they're doubt. getting rich information that we need from a master teacher in our community. Yeah. This is, Thanks. to me, how things happen. And it's better than just, you know, you know, giving blindly and not knowing what, how and where you're yeah. going to you're going to see and know the people with these projects, which actually the community itself will start holding those projects accountable. That's it. When they don't get out the train station because sometimes that happens and That's it's like it. all right brother did you consider this did you consider that let's make sure you get out the train station next time and we're not necessarily saying that you you know because everything ain't a conspiracy or a scam or whatever sometimes it's just difficult that's it that's you know? it and, and that's the community we want and that's why it was so important because actually in knowing dewan it was suzanne my like my lead Captain of Detroit is different. That was like, have you seen information about this? And I was like, that's Dewan. And then, and then I got more information about it yeah. and how it functions. And all I was thinking was like, yeah, we can have so many people giving a dollar a week, yeah. almost like where we don't even think about it. And that's going to be something that Detroit is different can engage with because as much as I love the concept, I love the idea, I don't have the apparatus for lending and I don't feel like hiring the team to go through uh, getting the SEC controls and all of that stuff. Uh, lending is a whole entity. They've done it. You know what I'm saying? The wheel is already rolling. We just need to support that wheel and Detroit is different needs to stay in our media world how we do. Yeah. And Black Leaders Detroit can deliver on that. And I can yeah. now with pride tell a lot of businesses because it's a lot of business people that's like, hey, man, how do you get some money? How do you get some money? And I think like, you know, most of my lending straight straight up for the for the people still in the street. Sometimes I get a lot of street lending. I know a lot of street dudes still. And, mm -hmm. you know, I can get points and and it's more fair. And that's, it's yep. always been more fair. Yeah. But and I know, you know, as we know, with a lot of black businesses, even going back to the to the street, to the numbers game. And that was a big lending institution for most right. black newspapers, businesses, <clears throat> period, because, yeah. you know, we're not getting that lending. That's it. You know, so if but so if you're out the loop and you don't know any of these people and a lot of those people that you think got a lot of money probably don't have a lot of money. Right. It's usually the people that you think don't have money that have a lot of money because they're good at saving. Yep. 
You know what I'm saying? Yep. And this can open up the opportunity where now with pride I can say, hey, call up Black Leaders Detroit. And then it's going to go through a process where you will not just be there for your loan or your grant. You'll be set up because they're going to decode it to say, all right, now you're at a point where you can go down the street to Chase. And we're not saying that Chase going to say yes or Bank of America going to say yes. But we've checked all the boxes That's off it. that we could. We've exerted all of the – we've turned over all the stones that we do have control yep. over. Yep, yep. I mean, the one of the things that we experience is that people come to us that – haven't and wouldn't apply in other places because Definitely. oftentimes we feel like that money's not for it's us never anyway, come to right? Yeah. So when they they realize that we are set up for them specifically, yeah. they are willing to come and at least start the application process. Mm -hmm. So we're getting people to the table that even if they're not prepared, now we can help them point them in the right direction and say, hey, here's who you should be talking to to get you ready to come right back to us, ready, and then. Like you said, the next step is now you should be able to go to one of these banks and these other, like, traditional lenders. You know what I mean? So, yeah, man, it's, I think that I really think I have the best job in the city. I love you it. You know what I mean? And, and, and I want to – and I'm, I'm pitching, you know, I mean, now it's like reverse where I'm, like, priping this up. And y'all know <clears throat> I prop up – I prop up people sometimes, but I really propping up – this project, because after I understood it, also my understanding of business from my dad being a CPA and me doing taxes for so long. And as my dad always says, like when you look at the numbers of a business and the tax returns and preparing them, it's like you're you're lifting up the hood of what's going on. That's and it. from lifting up the hood, a lot of people you think they got a lot of money really don't mean it like, yes, they they have a lot of money, but they also have a lot of expenses. So That's that it. happens. But also That's being it. that he came from the construction background. And to do construction, you need to have such a great understanding of lending to scale up because to do construction, eventually you're going to be dealing with like government entities. When dealing with government entities and procurement, you may be waiting, I don't know, three, four years. In Detroit. Got, you in may Detroit, wait three, four yes, years. In Detroit is hard. It's hard. Just, let's, just, let's just say that. Yeah. Like I remember when I was doing projects for the city, the, the person that was inside the city said, look, Detroit put a lot of good contractors out of business because you sometimes you have to wait for your money. But the thing about my construction background and my, you know, being a GC that helped with what we do, because I don't have a finance background, right? Like I don't, I, you know, I didn't. Grow up okay, at well, the table with CPA. Well, but, technically, yeah, you but, didn't grow up with that, but you you have the, uh, the other best side, experience the other, from the other, the side, other side, which is what we need <clears throat> our people to have. And I'm not saying that yeah. having to find like you know like no, it's it's the team though, right? Yes, like like it as is. a GC, that's what you did. Yes, right. As a GC, general contractor, what I mean when I say yeah, GC, yeah, yeah. you identify the specialist and you get them on the team. So as when I was a general contractor, I didn't need to be an electrician. No. I just needed a really good electrician. Yeah. Right? And one of the things that I learned after a couple years in the game was that I never really wanted to have a guy that I can do it all. No. Right? I like specialists. Like, this is all I do. Right? So what I learned was my tile guy, is did he did tile yesterday. He going to do tile today, tomorrow. He's been doing tile for the last 20 years. Wow. 
You know what I mean? Like that's the only person I want laying tile for me, right? I don't want somebody that can can do framing and drywall, tape it and mud it. I want somebody that's he's a framer. That's all he do. That's all his crew does is frame. That's it. Uh, my drywall, like him or her, I, that's all they do is hang drywall. And the people that come and finish it, that's all they do is finish it, right? And that's the same thing that that approach that I take to building anything that I build. So when we want to put together our plan for the Norwich Loan, we connected with a, an organization called Hebrew Free Loan. They've been doing Norwich Loans in the Jewish community for 127 years. Mm-hmm. We got their blueprint. Mm-hmm. I work closely with a dude named David Contour. We become really good friends. He's, he's the executive director there. They gave us the blueprint and will like answer a call if we have any questions. Um, we took some tools that they use at Invest Detroit, right? And we put that stuff, to put it together, created a hybrid model, and made it a better fit for Our the black community, community yeah. and rolled it out. And we have a dynamic loan officer, uh, mm-hmm. Kevin, who like will help you get across the finish line as long as you stay engaged. And uh, Ken, our COO, who was one of my founding board members, helped me take this from an idea and turn it into an organization, came on staff in 2021, and manages a team. You already mentioned Sharia Ayers, who uh, every time somebody finds out that that she's on the squad, they're like, (laughs) yeah. Like, so, 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 and then uh, Jared, Jared, who is, he oversees our, our storytelling, Mm -hmm. right? Jared's a gifted writer. That's, that's what he, that's his gifting. Right. That's amazing. Uh, Jared had never written a grant before. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, like, man, would you be interested in like learning how to write grants? Connected him, a gifted grant writer who understands Black Leaders Detroit story and had him train under some professional grant writers. And Grant Jared has written and over two million dollars in wild. grants That's that wild. we've either received or is in the queue and we're waiting on the money to come that's in. That's powerful. Right? That's powerful. Yeah. I mean, and and, and I would say, and, and I guess this may be the entrepreneur, because as much as my dad's the CPA, this may be more of the Don Scott, my granddad in me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think with business, get out there and start. You know what I'm saying? That's the best lessons you can learn. So being that, and I, I mentioned that you serving as a general contractor, like because when you're on projects like that, Time and money matter so much that you have to be clear about it. It's not like other work. So you know what it's like to be like, okay, you need your money now. Because it's more than, you know, I need this line of credit. It's like, Mm -hmm. yo, I need this line of credit to start tomorrow. Because a crew of union, uh, I don't know, a, a, a crew of union, the IBEW will be coming over here tomorrow. And if I ain't got their money. Oh, yeah then I can't That's move forward with this project. It's a problem. And I am a subcontractor of this Hub Zone Opportunity Zone developed uh, thing where they brought me in, and yeah. I have the responsibility of that. And if you're not, like, really on that and, and knowing how to, you know, speak up about that, then you – I don't think you're going to be successful in that business. Yeah. So being in that business, that's where like I tip my hat to you know brothers like Tom Hardiman and those that do it well. And, and Detroit yeah. has a lot of them. 
it, not enough, as far as I'm concerned, getting yeah. the opportunities they need with this quote unquote redevelopment of Detroit. But that's another discussion. Mm -hmm. But it's enough that you know what it's like to really need that lending versus a person that's in a position that would like yeah. needing it and would like it are two totally different boats. Yeah. And it's not like saying the person that would like it may not get it either, but it's like, you know, you can get that, you can get that ship in motion. Hence why I say the best way to start your business is to start your business mm -hmm. because some of those other solutions start presenting themselves yeah. as you start your business versus being in theory yeah. about your and, business. And, and, and some of those, some of those problems teach you. Right, I say that right. the best loss, best lesson is a bought lesson, right? No. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like bumping your head. Right? If you don't bump it hard enough, you probably gonna bump it again. If you bump it hard enough, you're like, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna make sure I duck next time. You, you know, right. a lot of things that I learned is because of mistakes I made when running the business. You know, mm -hmm. but I understand it at a high level now, right? Yeah. And I, I'm able to even offer some of that, some advice to entrepreneurs. From a position of humility, because it's not—I'm not saying it because I learned it and I was a master at it. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm able to share this because I failed here or I—I I messed up here. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, but yeah. And, and the other thing about the contractors I know that have been in that game decade plus. They also recognize, and this is very tough to hear, especially in our community, because I think a lot of us are consumers. Money is has a very strong diminishing return, <laughs> meaning you're thinking at that hundred thousand. Like you're thinking that wow, I got a hundred thousand, so I can hire the best person. You're thinking that you're gonna get a, a exponential effort from this quote unquote best whatever event planner, grant writer, wh whatever you need in your business. No, it sometimes doesn't happen like that. And when I say diminishing return is usually the 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 arc of how people look at money. Hence, it's an asset like any other asset. The arc of how people consume money is like they will buy what they want. And then at that point, you're probably going to get whatever their natural productivity is. Mm -hmm. So it's not like just because you got a bunch of money now and you throw it on the table, you're going to turn a person that's used to showing up late, not oh, being yeah. responsive. Uh, you, you're thinking that, oh, if I give them enough money, then obviously I'm going to get a better worker. No, yeah. no, yeah. probably the opposite is going to happen. Yeah. You know, so that's why I like him, you know, it's like knowing the background of some of these different jobs and, and, and business experience puts someone that worked in general because that job you're always working. You got to have like a a flow of knowing people skills and knowing how things go. And, and you probably just can pull a lot of businesses to the side and be like, look, I know you think you need 15 G's to do this. But in reality, I don't think you need that. much. I don't I don't think you need that. You probably need because what you're saying you want this 15 G's for is you say, oh, I'm going to hire a marketing person. And when I hire a marketing person, I got the best cupcakes in town. So I assume that this 15 G's with my with my uh, cousin friend that, that's a social influencer and Instagram, it helped her get all of this money. So I figure they take I take the same money, get that 15 G's of them. My cupcakes blow up. You'll be like, nah, that's yeah. probably not what you need to do. Yeah. You can probably pound the pavement. It's it's interesting because you know? the way that we're set up is we have entrepreneurs having conversations with entrepreneurs, and sometimes it, it works out well where somebody's yeah. in the same industry, and they can say it even better, right? Because yeah. if somebody come through and it's their construction person, then I'll probably we speak the same language. But yeah. you mentioned cupcakes, right? So uh, April Anderson from Good Cakes and Bakes is on our funding board. 
So April. She comes yeah. in soon too. It's nice, like we nice. all in the same family. She is phenomenal, man. Like the way that she engages with entrepreneurs in a, a very like loving, supportive way, but also like she has a finance background. She worked in corporate America, you know, so she's able to talk to them and like in a really, really sensitive way, offer up advice and help them avoid some things that they were probably going to like pitfalls, you know? And, 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 and I think that she also really understands when people are ready to hear that mm-hmm. and when they're not. And then she doesn't, she was, she'll like pull back from offering it up in the moment. You know yeah. what I mean? So I really appreciate that part about what we do as well is the engagement with other people that there's no doubt that these people want to see you win, right? These are other black entrepreneurs <laughs> operating in Detroit that love black entrepreneurs and they really, really want to see you win. So the way that we're kind of organically forming um, a community, entrepreneurs that like are supportive of one another, that's just a, an added bonus that we didn't even realize was going to happen. You know what I mean? That's powerful. So we're going to close. Man. This is good, bro. Classic one. Classic Detroit. Detroit is different questions now. Very first car. Year making model. Oh, we. Oh, we. I had a Chrysler Newport. That, oh, man. I never even heard of bro, one. Bro, like it was a Chrysler <laughs> Newport. I think it was a 73, the same year I was born. A Chrysler Newport. And, and, and I, I, bro, it was one of those things. It was, it was just a raggedy car, and that was old. But I thought it was like I was going to turn it into a classic. But you see how you never even heard of it? <laughs> There's a reason you never heard of it. Bro, like you couldn't tell me I wasn't about to turn that into a classic and put some rims on it and do everything. That car was raggedy. The mug, bro, but uh, yeah, that was my very first first whip. Where was the first place you went when you got it? Man, where was the first place that I went? Oh, man, maybe my Uncle Tyrone's house okay. who lives on the east side. I think I picked it up, uh, paid $300 for it. Whoa. $300 for it. Oh, man, that, that, that's like a personal purchase. You probably didn't have no tags, no nothing. You was just right. I, I wasn't going to say all that. <laughs> I wasn't going to even say all that. <laughs> it's like, it's like you saw uh, that car, three hundred dollars. Oh, oh man, <laughs> give me about two weeks. <laughs> right, right. Oh man, yeah. Right. So, um, you're the DJ at the end of the fireworks in Detroit, Woodward and Jefferson. You had to play two songs. What songs you playing? Um, the first one that came to mind is "Play at Your Own Risk." That's one of my one of my favorites. Mm. Um. And let's see, what's the what would be the next one? So play at your own risk, and what's going on? Okay, I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Introspective, and <clears throat> last one. You can rename what we're after one Detroiter. Who would it be and why? I'm gonna go Malik Yakini. Wow, love Baba Malik. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go Malik Yakini. Um I mean he he's a person that I think since my mind started to get focused on like transitioning to, to like all right, what's gonna be the thing that I do to make money and, 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 and whatever that is, American dream stuff to like wanting to be about serving people 
mm-hmm. and and bringing resources to our community. He's a person I watch from afar, mm-hmm. and I appreciate his ability to have big vision and pull it off and see it through. Right, like I talk to people often that either have are, are scared to like have big I vision scale up. Mm-hmm. or they have some really big that they can talk about but not necessarily execute. do take their time to figure out what it mm-hmm. takes to execute and pull it off um he's the per- first person i saw do like things that i thought were, were huge with you know in Saroma. Um, Black Star Community Bookstore. Black Star Community Bookstore. I would, I would reference, he was my very first Detroit is Different podcast guest. And wow. If you listen to it, even though the audio is first podcast starting, <laughs> it's, it's really deep. He talks about I, his medallion-making business. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, a, I'm sure that he, he, he he's had stuff that I've, you know, he probably forgot he, he did. Ra- I, you know I, what I mean? Detroit's reggae. That's funny. It's like that interview is on like a reggae site. Because I didn't yeah. know in like the 80s and 90s, Detroit played such a pivotal role in the American reggae scene. Mm, yeah. But but that's, I would name it after, yeah. That's powerful. I would name it, it'd be, it'd be Malik or Yakini or I'm with some it. version of that. Yeah. I'm with it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Peace. Thank you, bro. Appreciate you. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.